Hi everybody. This is the first of the Tree Woman Tales podcast. And um, I started this because my name is Holly Penfield and I have made this record called Tree Woman. You see? And it's all these songs I wrote about my feelings um, that I've had my whole entire life as a woman. And then a few of how I'm writing about the vintage years of my life and how I'm coping with it all and how I've sabotaged myself and how I've picked myself mm -hmm. up and never given up. And um, this is this is the um, painting, the Tree Woman painting. And I have the Tree Woman of all Tree Womans right mm -hmm. here today um, that I know of anyway in my world. She has been a great inspiration to me for the last 15 years have we more, known each? More than that, isn't 20 it? years? No, 15, 15, this is 2020, okay. 2005, 2006. So we both come from San Francisco, but we met in... Um, no, we met in Sausalito. Oh, we met in Sausalito, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but we did shows together in Edinburgh, and, and we both live in London. And we are um, crazy about each other. Uh, and that's and true. She, when I first met Lynn Ruth Miller, this is Lynn Ruth Miller, everybody. Hello, hello. <laughs> she, um, she was only in her 70s, and uh, she was taking her clothes off uh, up in Edinburgh, burlesque, mm -hmm. doing burlesque. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has, <laughs> that was. and she, she, I saw her in a venue in Edinburgh that was a, um, it was a, what was that, a Freemason's uh, church or something. Oh, oh, oh and uh, you did your tree, you did your You, you were upstairs. And you were there too, weren't you? you That's were right, and stories. it was, what was it called, a Dean, Dean, uh, Dean something, Dean Brody's, Dean Brody's place, and it was upstairs, and you did your, your show there, uh -huh. and I was doing storytelling, yes. but I was doing because the year before is when I started doing the striptease. But I, for, for open spots, I would do my striptease and I would sing uh, uh, the strip polka, which strip is by polka. Johnny yeah. Mercer. That was, that was devastating. Everyone was riveted. <laughs> and I had other songs and the other songs were wild thing. I think we did that. We did a song together. Okay, and we'll I get to that. Yes. Well, so then, that, so I'm still introducing you. And <laughs> All right. I, I didn't know what to think of Lynn Ruth Miller, but I was, I was thinking, this is such great inspiration for me, oh. and and she's now going to be in three weeks. Uh, in three weeks, I'll be eighty-seven. Eighty-seven, and she is still going strong. She's always saying to me, I've just got so much to do. I need more time. I need more years. Uh, that's right. Um, I do. And, I do. And I believe in her and I believe oh. she's going to change things for women who are growing and growing and becoming bigger, more branched out, more rooted tree women. And instead of you know, focusing in on the lines and, and all that jazz. We're focusing on all the amazing things that happen when yes. the years roll by. It's and true. And I, I, to, to me, if I hope if I do nothing else, I change women's fear of aging into anticipation. It's been, there is no question that this is the best year of my life. And with the pandemic, this still is the best year of my life. Isn't that incredible? It is, so it truly start, is. So start off, honey, just, I know you don't want to go too much into it because you've had a long life. <laughs> it's a and long you, time. And, and you'd want to maybe focus on what you're doing now, but just give us a little brief idea of 
you as a little girl growing up, and then your parents, and your you had a you were married too, weren't you? I was married twice. Twice, okay. Um, I grew up in an upper middle class uh, Jewish home in the Midwest, in uh, Toledo, Ohio, <laughs> which is very narrow, very uh, a very isol uh, What's the word I want? Conservative but also very narrow, very narrow boundaries with very firm uh, right and wrong uh, 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 rules. And in the day that I remember, I was born in 1933, and the only future for a woman, as far as my mother was concerned, there were progressive people, maybe in New York and San Francisco, but in Toledo, Ohio, the only a, a profession for a woman, the only future, was to be married and to marry money and to marry money. Women at that time never worked except the unfortunate ones or the lower class, the lower class. My mother went from lower class, she was a Romanian immigrant, really lower class to the top of upper middle. Daddy was a millionaire, daddy was a millionaire. And so she, and she didn't understand the rules of what you were, but she knew that, that she was, she was, she felt very important because of the money. And that's the mistake, sweetheart. She wasn't important because the money meant nothing. And, and, and she had no vision. And I was living with a woman that had no vision who was determined to foist her interpretation of the good life on me. And she had no concept that we're individuals. She had no concept that each of us, my sister and I and my father had different, different dreams. My mother didn't see that. My mother only saw that to be successful, you have money, women marry, they have children, they get a mink coat. Even now, when I think of a mink coat, I cringe. <laughs> this is those little animals. Uh, and that's what you do. And you, you, you buy things from prestigious stores. That was important <laughs> to my mother. You, it, that's to be a good store. It's a, and, and I didn't fit in and didn't understand why. So going through, um, I was considered a failure, and a, a complete failure. And then when I finally married, which at the age of 22 was late, I married at 22, and it was a total disaster. Uh, and I came back home, and, and, when I, and, and I remember my mother said to me, I told you no one could live with you. Um, oh. he, the boy, he walked out when I was 22. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he used to beat me up. He used to beat me, beat me around. He, oh and, no! You mean physically? Yeah, hit physically you. hit me. But I'm really good at ducking, and I, uh, <laughs> no, he, he hit me. Um, he wasn't a mean man, but he was never. Uh, he was never. Uh, they don't. They give you R and R now. He was fighting in Korea, and then he came right out of Korea and married me. And he hadn't been demobilized. That's the word I want. So when he got angry, he used his fists. He used his hands. And I was in the way, <laughs> and so really? I used to duck. I, I, you know, he threw things at me and did things like that. Anyway, after two years, he left, and they always considered it, they considered it my fault. And I would say to my mother, "But he hit me," and my mother would say, "Well, no one. He probably deserved it. Nobody could live oh, with you." Oh, see, this so, is so. And at that point, I believe we talk about this. At that point, I managed to find a little bit of gumption. And I started a TV show at, at C, on CBS in T really? Toledo. Yes, Toledo's CBS. It was what called. What year was that? Would have been 1958. Oh my gosh! And it was called the Little Playhouse, and it was on CBS. It was on WTOL TV, 
and uh, it was public service. And I was just about to get that going and I was absorbing the failure of my marriage because I loved, the, I didn't love him, but I loved married life. I loved it. It was, it's a beautiful way to live. It's a nice cooperative way, two people in it together. It was lovely. Um, anyway, and I was just recovering from it. I was beginning to look good. I, uh, I also had a very severe eating disorder and nobody knew what it was. And it was anorexia and bulimia, but nobody at that time oh knew what gosh. it was. So the I was original... at, the point, at the point that Tommy left, I was the in the height of the, of the anorexia and the bulimia. Um, and that's what my novel, Starving Hearts, is about. That uh, describes uh, what I was doing and so the binge. So just let's let's stop there for pause there for a minute. So you wrote a book called Starving Hearts. That's right. And it, when is that the newest book? No, no. Okay, no. that okay. was the and first it, book I published. You said it's a novel. It's a novel, but it's real. Oh, it's real story. I changed, I I changed it to fiction so that no one would sue me. Wow. Amazing. But it's my story of my my life with Tommy. I changed our names. My name was Susan in the thing. Okay. Uh, but it's my it's my life with Tommy. It's absolutely real, and what happened with my mother. But as I, I so I got this television show going, and on the way to the screening, a woman came down a hill that was learning to drive and and rammed into the side of the car, and I went through the windshield, and I almost died. And my mother was looking at television, uh, and and I was at that time very skinny because of the because of the anorexia, and she saw this, this stretcher come out that looked absolutely flat except for two big feet. I have very big feet. And she said to my father, being funny, she said, if I didn't know better, I think that was Lynn Ruth. And then they said, Lynn Ruth Miller, <laughs> yes, star of the little playhouse has just been injured. And they came down to get me. Anyway, so I, I did get the program up. And then after a year and a half of the program, uh, and it was going well, uh, not great, well, and it was sponsored by the Toledo Art Museum, and it had live children on it. Wow. And, um, mm -hmm. and then um, a woman named Carol Van Balen, uh, Jewish people can't stand to see single people. It's too much for them. Uh, and, <laughs> and she fixed me up with a man named Richard Flox. And he, I, I didn't love him, but he read poetry to me. He was, I think, 11 or 12 years older than I. He was 40, um, and I was by that time 20 eight or 20 almost 29 and he was 40 and he read poetry to me and he had a lot of money and he bought me a house and he proposed and i thought well why not that really is what i thought why not he's a nice man he seemed a nice man and he was he was very nice he was also gay we um <laughs> he was gay okay. we had our honeymoon in bermuda and I am a very nice Jewish girl, and on that honeymoon, I realized something was wrong because uh, his machinery was not working. <laughs> and I thought, well, Tommy didn't like me either. It's just one more. And so I just figured I was really obnoxious and nobody could stand me. And then after three months of living there, um, he called my father. This must have been so hard for him. I would like people to really feel sorry for this man. It was 1959 and he was gay. If he had come out, and he was from a small town in Indiana, if he had come out, they would have put him in a mental hospital. He would have been given shock treatments. That man was 
I feel I always have felt sorry for him, but I didn't feel sorry at this particular moment. I was making him lunch. He used to come home for lunch. It wasn't enough. There was no sex. I was cooking him lunch, and I. <laughs> this is a horrible time. And um, by the my way, Lynn Ruth Miller is the oldest stand, living comedian, stand-up comedian, stand-up comedian in the Europe, UK in, in the Europe, uh -huh. because anyone older than I am can't stand up. <laughs> at this point, okay. so I was making lunch for Richard. <laughs> When my father walked in and he said, uh, pack, a pack a bag, he said, I'm taking you home. And I said, this is my home. Because I had made up my mind I was going to live with this guy. I didn't care. I, I, I was going to live with him. I was going to, he had enough money. We had a house. He could go lead his life. I still didn't know he was gay. I just thought he hated me. And it, my father said, no, he can't, Richard is his name. Richard can't, Richard can't stand you get in the car. So I thought, well, one more. So I got in the car and and I came home and um, I gave up smoking <laughs> and I went to work at the library. And I was working at the public library. At that time, the hours were nine to nine, seven days a week. And I had one friend left and she called me, her name was Joe jo Frookman, and she called me and said, let's meet for lunch. And I looked at my calendar and my diary with my working schedule, and I said, I can't meet you for lunch for the next six months. And then I said, in my heart, fuck it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to be a children's librarian. I'm going to do what I always wanted to do, which was write. I've been writing since I was 10, writing you know, little pieces on the back of, of things. I'm writing for the school newspaper, writing for skits for the sorority, writing all the time. I'm going to do it. So I thought, well, but I'm going to, at this point, I realized that I was not going to have that dream life uh, with uh, a house in suburbia and a rich husband and children. Richard and I were going to adopt non-adoptables. I was going to finally get my children. And we had two, we had a dog named Beatrice. We had a dog. Anyway, and he bought me a grand piano. I mean, it was, it was looking like it was going to be a, a, a tolerable life, even if uh, part of that life was not happening. Uh, anyway, uh, so I came, I, so I went to the library, and, that, and I decided, okay, I've got, to, I've got to earn a living. I'm going to earn a living doing what I love, which is not teaching. Up until that time, I had been teaching, and I'm going to earn a living doing what I really love. I, I, I'm going to write. So I thought, okay, I'll do journalism, which is a perfect example of my crappy sense of timing. This was right when television was becoming big and newspapers were folding. Okay. <laughs> I am going to do print journalism. That's what I'm going to do. And I, and I remember all my life I wanted to go to Stanford University, but I thought, no, I'll never get in. I'll never get in because I'm not smart enough. And I sent in the application, and they, they, they approved me by return mail. They were, because at that time they wanted to get older students and I had a beautiful record from the University of Michigan that nobody has heard of but now they have because Obama's uh, sending his youngest daughter to the University of Michigan. Okay. University of Michigan is the Berkeley of the Midwest. Okay. We were totally off the wall but I didn't know that. I thought we were just like any normal university. So I applied to Stanford and Stanford said well it's going to take you two and a half years because you have to do your undergraduate requirements as well. Oh, by that time I also had a master's degree in, in creative arts for children. I did that in between there. And they said it's going to take two, two and a half years, um, and you're going to have to be a full-time student because you're not going to be able to take all those courses. And because of that automobile accident, my father sued the lady. I had money. 
Oh. So that money put okay. me through Stanford University. I didn't have a scholarship. And uh, when I think about this, I get very emotional because I lived in a cement, in a one-room cement block studio all by myself. And I knew that this was my last chance, my only chance to be able to take care of myself. And I wasn't going to wait two and a half years. So I took extra courses. And on top of that, we didn't have computers. And on top of that, you had to have what was called a string of journalists, because I wanted to write for newspapers, which were folding left and right. But of course, I'm, I was going to write for newspapers. So what I did is I wrote, I was at Stanford, I wrote for every newspaper from San Jose. I was in the San Jose paper, was the Mercury News, all the way up to uh, the Examiner and the Chronicle. I wrote free articles for them while I was taking double courses. And I'm not that smart, but I studied, I studied 20 hours out of 24. And I graduated in 14 months Wow. with all A's and, I, and a big notebook full of things. And uh, I went out to get the job that I was sure I was going to get. And no one would hire me. And um, because I was 30, I was too old. They thought if I hire her, she'll just get pregnant. Little did they know that I was so anorexic that if I conceived, I mean, I would be in the same league as Mary when she got Jesus if I conceived. <laughs> One of those miracles. <laughs> so they didn't know that. <laughs> and um, I was still battling the eating disorder on top of everything else. Um, but you have to realize that I got my journalism degree. The first year of it was 1963 when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. So it was a very good time, yeah. Anyway, so nobody would, so then I thought, well, maybe, maybe what I should do is, uh, is, is try for public relations, which I am terrible at. I, I can't sell anything. And I remember this guy, his name was David, and he, he took me out for lunch. I think I must have been sort of cute when I was 30, because he kept taking me out for lunch. And one day he said to me, well, what are you gonna have to drink? And I said, oh, I don't drink, which has changed. He said, <laughs> and he said, I said, I don't drink. He said, oh, you'll never make it in this business. So instead of going from Palo Alto to San Francisco to interview, because I thought that's where I'd get the job, and I couldn't get nobody, all those newspapers that I wrote for for nothing, not one of them would give me the lowest job, and I wrote for them for nothing. They printed, I worked at the Sunnyvale Standards setting up type i did the whole thing while i was taking while i was taking those courses and they wouldn't hire me so then i moved to san francisco 1340 taylor is where i lived and um i couldn't get a job and i realized i had to support myself because the money from the the suing the lady was running out and uh so i got a job at macy's selling a, i don't know whether you know what this is they're called dollar flats they're golden books do you remember the golden books? I don't think they cost so. a dollar. And I was working in the Christmas for the Christmas rush. I was where and I remember they interviewed me at Macy's and this big fat woman in a red dress chewing gum looked at my background because I had two master's degrees and I had honor societies. And she said, We always have room for talented people at Macy's, Ms. Miller. And so I was in the Christmas in the right with Santa Claus and I was selling dollar flats. But I'm very philosophical and I'm very liberal and people are very pushy when they when they shop for children's toys. And I would <laughs> I would lecture them. I would lecture them. I would say, stop that. This is a time of love and understanding. And this woman would say, I just want to buy this fucking little teddy bear. I said, no. <laughs> and then I tell you, 
And I mean, the guy that was the head of the department was the most tolerant man because I'm not good with numbers and we had cash registers then. And I pushed the wrong buttons every you single like time. You sound like Auntie Mame, do you remember the yeah, scene right with the, Rosalind Russell and Auntie Mame, the movie? The one where they were scattering the sperm, do you remember that one? <laughs> no. Where he goes into, she goes into, he's in school, he's in school and he's naked. Oh, oh and no, that, playing that, that's another and part naked. of Auntie And Mame. she says, what are you doing? He says, we're playing. Scatter the sperm. Scatter yeah. the sperm. I don't remember. Well, the, the every, bunch, every tree woman should watch Auntie Mame. Oh, yes. With Rosalind Russell. Russell. Not, not the one with Lucille Ball, which is the musical, although that's wonderful, too. But Auntie Mame is oh, wonderful. She was, she was a tree woman. Yeah, oh, way she beyond. was. She was yeah. so wonderful. Anyway, keep going, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so, so, um, I realized when I so, I, so at the end of the Christmas season, I mean, you have to realize they never want, do you know, if you know anything about Christmas shopping, that's the big season. And at the end, Macy's and all department stores see what their Christmas sales were to compare it to the next year. And Macy's sales in 1964, they have no idea what they did at Christmas because I messed up that cash register. <laughs> and then they advertised they advertised for someone to help with inventory. And I said to my boss, oh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna apply. He said, please don't, oh. <laughs> because she'll hire you. And, it'll, <laughs> and, and I'll never be able okay. to count all the books. But anyway, so then I moved to New York to try to get the job. And you just picked up and moved to New York. No, I went there, I still had the flat. And I went to New York because I thought, well, maybe that's the center of the written word, the journalist thing. I'm thinking New York Times is what I'm thinking. And I couldn't get a job there either, and then I had a nervous breakdown. And then there was what a- What year, I mean, how old were you then? 32. Okay. And so my father came up and got me again <laughs> from New York. I lived right next to the United Nations building. And I was doing freelance writing at the time, and you didn't, we didn't have computers. So you would put it in an envelope, you put the article in an envelope with the postage there and the postage back. And, and, and you don't feel like you're succeeding because you send out 100 articles and you get one acceptance and the pay will be something like $10. And then I, 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 made the back, I, made, I made inroads into several magazines, but one of them was Workbench Magazine, which was, one, which was a handyman's magazine, because I found this woman that had six by eight foot, I, well, they know what I'm talking about, six by eight foot pieces of masonite, the huge, and she was painting on them on her patio in New York, and she couldn't get them back into her flat. <laughs> they didn't fit through the window. So she took a jigsaw, and she cut it up into little pieces, and she wanted me to write a, a, a thing to sell her masonite paintings that she put back together in her flat. And I wrote an article called How to Make a Jigsaw Floor. And I got a workbench. Anyway, so then I had a nervous breakdown, and I came back to Toledo. And at that point, my mother said to my father, I don't want her in this house anymore. And I had no money. And so I, I don't know. It must have been a week that I lived there. It was horrible. Um, but I found charity housing, and it was 1232 crib. And, and I moved there, and, and then uh, I kept looking for jobs, and I couldn't find a job. And then my friend Brita Herman called me up and said, you, you're too alone. You need, a, you need a, something to love. I have a, a cat for you, a kitten. And I said, I hate cats. <laughs> and she said, 
this is a kitten. And I went over to her house and she said, this is her K litter. And she handed me this little ball of fluff. And she said, that's Cameron. And I took her home. And then I realized that she wasn't Karen. She was Michael Mistake. She was a, a boy, yeah. little boy kitty. But, and I had, I had someone I had to feed and I had to take care of. So I got a job at Toledo University doing the one thing I didn't want to do besides marry again, <laughs> which was teach. And I was teaching, I became a professor. And I worked for the next four years part full-time on a part-time salary at the lowest amount of money that they could possibly pay me and then Ohio passed a law this is true uh, that said that if you had a certain amount of education and I had more education than anybody in that college I because I had the two master's degrees and Toledo University you have to be one shade dumber than dirt to teach at Toledo University Jesus God I remember the one guy the head of the music department was a motorcycle he used to walk around in a leather coat and a, and a, and a helmet and he motorcycled around and he was doing <laughs> he was teaching Rigoletto. I said, mm. anyway, <laughs> you uh, really, uh, uh, so I became a professor. And then after four years, the dean called me and said, they've just passed a law that we have to pay you back pay and we have to pay you a level of salary that we have not been paying you. And if we do that, we'll bankrupt, we'll bankrupt the system. And if we bankrupt the system, Ray Henry, another English teacher, won't get his raise and he has a family and guess what i said it's okay you don't have to give me the money and then i i, I and i was beginning and you know you talk about when did is i that, get the guts to do uh, i was teaching art appreciation i didn't know anything about art appreciation i was lecturing to 500 kids and i knew nothing about art <laughs> I mean, I knew pretty pictures, so I decided, to, So, and, and for the first time in my life, I was earning money. It wasn't very much, but it was more than, sure. it was more than nothing. Yeah. And I took that money, and I was living in charity housing, so my rent was something like 25 bucks a month. It was nothing. Okay. And, and I was anorexic, so the food was almost nothing. I mean, I wasn't eating. So I took that money, and I went to the public library, and I found, I decided, I, I, I was teaching the humanities, and I knew how to write. And I knew how to play the piano, but I didn't know anything about how to make a picture. So I found this thing called Northern Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland School of Landscape Painting. And I thought, I'm gonna do that. So I wrote them, his name is Kenneth Webb. And, and they, they were doing, they were doing uh, two week workshops in Connemara in Galway, which is cold in August, it's cold. And I signed up for for four of the workshops and I had two weeks alone and I thought, oh, that'll be so nice. And, and, and they told me a place to, to rent a room and I, I rent a room in Athlone in the hotel there and I would have two weeks with nobody just to paint and after two hours there I thought I'd go crazy. I'm not a loner. I just think I am. I thought, oh, it's not romantic. I'm going to just paint and I'm a terrible painter on top of everything else. So anyway. So I painted there for four months. I don't think you're a terrible painter. Well, I've been doing it now for 50 years. I'm a little better. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was just beginning. Her paintings are very interesting. We will eventually get to those. Yeah. And I'm so just going to take... You need to I'm, I'm just, head to comedy. Yes. I, I'm, I'm just going to 
we're going to take a break and have part two because we need to just regroup here because okay. your story is you didn't know any of this your story is long and fascinating oh. and i don't I, we might have to present it in in a, a series like a three-part series and each each i think maybe each setting will be different yeah so what would you let's close because it's getting too cold out here this is hempstead heath we're in so let's close this episode, episode one of Lynn Ruth Miller's Tree Woman Tales. And we are going to, I'm going to ask you, um, were you, when you were going in through this sort of dark journey, which a lot of it sounds quite dark, your early years. Oh, it's terrible. Um, were you ever happy or did you, were you always choosing to be unhappy because you had so little support, except for your million dollar father <laughs> yeah millionaire father millionaire father. I had but he did not support me so there you go he supported you not even emotionally no he did not support me emotionally he supported me with money oh okay I I understand yeah and that's no it. he thought I was a failure too oh dear. he said oh my god with a brain like yours why don't you study law <laughs> study law I just want to write good girl you knew from would you say from a very early early I always that, knew I wanted to be a writer. There was no okay. question. So I always wanted to be a writer. Have enough support. Um, I had none. I had yeah, none. none no, don't say all. enough. None. Okay. Um, but the thing that I no, I was not an unhappy person. I was unhappy at home, uh, and of course the divorces and 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 the the, the 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 failure at Stanford. That that really was awful because I staked everything on Stanford. Stanford is such a prestigious it university. It's very prestigious. I mean, it's very hard to get into also. Very, well, I did it. I did it by return mail, and I, and I graduated at the top, and I thought, yes. And the answer was, no, it didn't happen. But I never, always inside me, always from the time I was itty-bitty, there's this little nugget inside me that says, you can say I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. I know there's something in me that's good. I know it's good. I know, I know. And that's always helped me. And I always had teachers that thought I was wonderful because I was so glad to get out of the house. You have a kid that goes, I'm so happy to be here. I don't want to go home. <laughs> I don't want to go home. Um, I always knew, and I always knew there was something better, and I always worked for it. I always went for it. You That's went, why I went hard. for Stanford. That's why I went to Ireland to learn to paint. That's why I went after that to Oklahoma City. I did the Oklahoma City, and that's why I went. I got a caravan and I and I the fifth wheel trailer, and I drove around Southwest United States for a year and a half, telling writing stories because. I thought I would get into the Reader's Digest. I gave up New York Times by that time, and I was after the Reader's Digest. I didn't, but I, I did that. But it's always I knew there, there, there's something. I know I can find it. I know I can. And then I came to California when I was 50, and that was when I started being really happy. But I was never depressed. Okay. I was depressed, but I, I, I always told jokes. Okay. I was always funny. And that was there was that little voice inside. That little voice that, that never left you me. Through everything. That's right. And yeah. it never left me. Not from I the time that's... I was really little and my mother would say, how could you be so stupid? And I would think, no, I'm really not that stupid. <laughs> I'm really not that stupid. I'm just stupid about this. But I'm going to find the thing I'm smart about. Oh, I never stopped that search. That is what we're going to end this first episode on. And, and you found that purpose and now you're deeply it. inside it. I'm, I'm, I'm progressing. I have many, many plans. I have a lot of things I have left to do. 
And she does. And on that note, we're going to say good night for tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to our Tree Woman Tales, and we will be back. Miss Lynn Ruth Miller, the tree woman of the decade, or the century. But that's <laughs> true. Heat. But that is really true. Always, I'm just sure. No, they're wrong. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sitting there looking at my life in shambles. I'm saying, no, somewhere. I somewhere. love, see, I love this journey because the thing is, is she didn't have the success that I didn't have uh, any success. Any success. I don't think I've had it, and I'm still up. not there. I'm nowhere. Well, well I've got the 6.4 million people that watch that video. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to say goodnight, because I'm freezing, and so are you, baby, aren't you? So now I have to, oh, dear. All <laughs> Thanks, right. Richard. Oops. Thank you, Richard. Oh, no, this isn't as bad as Holly, I thought. Uh, All right. I oops, oops. This out next week. Why? Because people like to follow things. This is a good way of getting the All right, well, maybe All right, we'll do we'll that. Do it. We're going to talk I about uh, that later. We, we, we should do one every week. By the I way, can do I have time Holly, next week. Something's fell, I think. It was probably my Hold ovary. Hold on. It's, no, I know what it is. <laughs> okay. We have to get the ukulele. Okay. Oh, you that you was, just get yourself. And, um, we're going to we got to get so out gonna of here. We're going to do a different setting. Did you like that? You were the one that asked her to tell me. You know, you could have started. Very interesting. It's a good story. Isn't it? Yeah. going through a novel, you know, imagining. Me too. Lots of images. Yeah.